it's a lot of just putting yourself out there. That's like part of the job is like representing yourself and trying to get clients like be open to like making new connections, messaging people, see if they need work. Hello and welcome. I'm Kate and this is the Freelance Founders Podcast, where we talk to creatives who have designed their own careers. We're so grateful to be able to interview these bright minds and share their incredible journeys with you. Welcome, everybody, and welcome back to the Freelance Founders Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with art director and graphic designer, Jeremy Raskin. Hi, Jeremy. Welcome to Freelance Founders Podcast. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm well. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. To get started, we always ask our guests if they could just take us through their career to date. So I've been doing graphic design since I was 14. So <laughs> I, I've always been doing visual art since a kid. But then like in uh, middle school, I got into graphic design. And then in high school, I took graphic design classes throughout all four years. And then I ended up majoring in that. In college, I went to University of Arizona where I got my BFA in studio art with a focus on visual communications, which is essentially graphic design. And then since I've always been doing music, I, I knew that like I wanted to work in the music industry and I grew up in Irvine. So moving to LA was kind of like an easy step. It was just like kind of the ne- obvious next step. So like after college, I went back to Irvine and then it took me like a year to finally get up here. Unfortunately, my first ever graphic design job I knew it wasn't for me right away, but I needed to do it to get up to LA. Essentially, I was like a production designer. Production design, essentially, is just like you're just editing assets to go down the production line. And I was just like, I'm not doing this. I'm getting out of here as soon as possible. But I only had to do that for four months until I landed my first music industry job, which was being the graphic designer Avalon Hollywood, but also doing their kind of like more underground music night, prototype LA. That lasted for eight months until I got cut. (laughs) for reasons out of my control, which actually ended up starting my freelance career, which was what I was doing for the past seven years. So I was essentially doing a lot of freelance work in music and entertainment. But like, I didn't know it was possible to do a freelance career until I got cut. And I just, it just kind of happened organically. So I, I was doing that everything from doing, I mean, I still do it, but like I'm now full time, but like everything, I was doing everything from album covers to visualizers, to titles for music videos, to art department for music videos. And now I recently, for the first time in seven years, I am full-time again. I am an art director at Production Club. And the cool thing about Production Club is they're a multidisciplinary creative studio that focuses in the live event space. So they do work, they do work in music as well, but they do everything from festivals to stage design to tech conference. So I actually started off with them freelancing, but, and because I was just like, I'm not going full time. But, you know, after freelancing there for three months, I kind of came to the realization that this was the right fit and I should go forward with this. And that's how I got to where I'm at, I am today. Thank you so much for sharing. I would love to kind of go back to your point about being full time, then going freelance because you were kind of forced into that pathway of your career and now being back in a full time. What are those types of draw-ins that you get from a full-time position versus being freelance? I think that like working at where I work, it's 
not like a lot of other full-time jobs. There's a lot of flexibility. I mean, half the people I work with were also musicians. So they get like the, the work-life balance, they, but they also understand like creative endeavors at work, but also outside of work. So it's like part of the reason like I went full-time at production club is like, they kind of get like the overall creative endeavors we're trying to do is like creatives. One of the heads of the company, he used to be a music producer for a very long time. They all get it. So I think like, I think I have like a rare case and it's like part of the reason why I was so hesitant about going full-time for the longest time. I mean, it took me seven years before I was just like, okay, I think this is the right move. I think freelancing served a purpose. I mean, I still do it. You know, like I take on still select freelance projects that like pique my interest, but I think like freelance serves a purpose as in like, you know, you can maintain that like work-life balance working at production club for me. I can, I feel like it's somewhat a continuation of like the, the freelance lifestyle I had before. But it's a slightly a bit more structured because freelancing can be chaotic <laughs> sometimes, as, as we're all aware. Oh, yes. I think it's really nice that you were actually able to test out the company. for You freelanced for three months, so you were able to test out the working environment and the teams and just see the overall structure of the company before really deciding if you wanted to go full time. It's so funny. On my first like intro call with them, they asked if I want to go freelance or full time. And I said freelance, and they're like, "What's wrong? You have commitment issues." <laughs> I, was just like, <laughs> I feel like you get that a lot as a freelancer. I feel like that's something full time employers always ask. I'm kind of glad they like asked that because I'm like, okay, you guys, you guys can clown around. Like, I'm down. I can tell. Like, if the, the recruiter is like joking with me like this, then like people here like are on a human level, and like I can vibe with that. But I also had like a realization like a month into working there because they, my now boss was, we were like on a Zoom call, and like, yeah, we need to hire a full-time art director. And I had this, I had this realization, like almost like right after the Zoom call that just because of like the nature of the music industry and how it can be abusive and not fair to designers. I was like, I could either going back to getting underpaid and just like not respecting the music industry or because of COVID and the plague, I had to like go work at agencies for a while, which is just kind of like the bane of my existence. I was like, well, I could either go back to working and chasing like shitty music clients who don't respect me and don't give me the creative freedom I want only on some rare occasions or go back to agencies or continue working at production club where I'm having like a good time and doing work and working with the team I like. And that's when I brought up, I was like, Hey, I could be interested in this full-time position. So then we revisited the full-time conversation and uh, now I'm there. Let's go back to when you were freelancing and what did you find was the hardest part about going freelance? It's so interesting because I was already kind of connected in the music world already because I was throwing underground parties. I had like an art collective and we were throwing like underground parties. So like it kind of like slowly started coming in. When I first got cut at Avalon, I was kind of devastated. But I knew that like there kind of wasn't really any moving up from like where I was at there. So I was, was going to leave anyways at some point. But it just kind of weirdly happened where I just kind of like organically started getting clients just because of like people already knew me for doing graphic design work for the parties I was throwing. And like, I was looking for full-time jobs when I first got cut, but I was just like, all oh, these sound so unappealing. It just kind of happened organically. I would say like the hardest part is it's like, it's feast or famine. Like sometimes you're, you're overworked and sometimes you're just like, where is the work, you know? For sure. I feel like a lot of freelancers feel that. And also at first when you do go freelance and a lot of cases you tend to, well, one, you don't know how to price yourself. But two, also, you just kind of are saying yes to, to different projects because you're like, I don't know when I'm going to get paid next. 
I feel like there's that sense when you first go freelance of constantly saying yes and not really learning to say no. But there's so many other, like that's one thing I wish I would have known when I was first going freelance was like, it's okay to say no because there are so many other elements and so many other parts of the job that like you might not enjoy. And then you're stuck in it because you don't want to like leave the money because you're still in that yes mentality. For real. And like, because of the nature of the music industry, I didn't realize until like the latter end of like my uh, freelance career that I was underpricing myself the whole time. <laughs> Even when I was raising my rate. And so until I like towards the end when I was just having to go to do more agency work just because of COVID, I realized I was totally underpricing myself. And I was like, damn. I mean, I think I, part of it was when I joined freelance founders, which happened during COVID because that's kind of when freelance founders was happening. And then I saw everyone's rate sheet. I was like, damn, I'm underpricing myself. I could have been asking for more this whole entire time. I mean, like partially it's due to just like working in music. There's just not money. It kind of blows because especially if like music's your passion and like you love it, it's like you're, you're in it because you love it. You know, the people think like there's paychecks, but like there's only paychecks if you're working with top of the top of the crop, bigger paychecks. I mean, never, you get paid. Sometimes you don't, which I've experienced, but unless you're doing like top 40, you're going to get paid like fairly. But even then it's on the lower scale. That brings me to my next question, actually, because when you joined Freelance Founders, you realized how low you were pricing yourself out. And that's like still such a huge conversation. I think pricing and what you're pricing yourself at is such a big conversation within the freelance world, especially at Freelance Founders. I would love to hear from you. Like, What do you feel is the biggest mistake people make when it does come to pricing their services? Not doing contracts. <laughs> you have to do contracts. I... Literally had no idea you could charge late fees or you could charge revision requests. I had no idea. I always thought like when you started, it's just like, oh, I'll do a little bit of extra work just because I want to retain this client or whatever. But like contracts, 100%. Let's say you start off like a project at like a lower than like what you would want, like asking price. But then like you have like the number of rounds of revisions or whatever. And if the client crosses that round, which they most likely will, you can charge extra and kind of like make back your money. I wouldn't say make back, but you can get like kind of like what you're paid fairly through contractual obligations. And it's all written out on paper. So when you send that invoice, they're going to pay for it. I literally, I got screwed over on a project. It was like partially my fault. I was doing a world tour poster for a Grammy nominated artist. And let's just say the deadline wasn't the actual deadline. And I agreed to a way lower price than what I thought I should. And but for the amount of time I spent on it, I got paid under minimum wage and I almost wanted to quit freelancing because of that. But I could have saved myself if I had a contract in place and I could have had like those steps of revisions. Cause like when I asked for more money, they were just like, you're giving us a hard time. Like these are simple revisions. How are you supposed to work with our other clients if you can't do these easy steps? And I was, I almost had like a mental breakdown. I was like, I'm spending so much time on this and I'm getting underpaid. But if I had a contract and everything written scope, then they would have respected the boundaries, which is something you learn as you become your own business person. Because I did not start off as a business person when I started freelancing, but you learn how to be a business person through messing up. It was cool though, because later on, months after that project and after I got paid, that artist manager hit me up for the original Photoshop file. They were creating like this interactive thing on their website and they needed the original art. And I was like, oh, you're not getting it unless you buy it out. <laughs> And we got into this like verbal, verbal argument over email. They're like, 
respectfully be on the rights to the artwork team you handed over and I'm like respectfully you don't <laughs> I sent them the original scope of work email that the creative director handed me and I was like I reserve all the rights to artwork I kind of got them back because they had to rebrand their whole tour because like they couldn't use that the original Photoshop file for the interactive element on their website there's also that like you don't have to hand over working files I did not know that there's just so many things you learn from trial and error because like I think a lot of us going to freelance don't realize like the implications of the business side of things, but you know, you learn from, you learn from your mistakes. 100%. I mean, I can't agree with you more on like one, having a contract, even when I'm doing business with, for example, I'm working with one of my really good friends, new company for my new company. And I was like, right. So where's the contract? Like, let's get this all like, like, let's make this very official. But also the the fees that you were talking about, like the revision fees. I am a project manager and I had no idea that like I could have had a kill fee or like I could have charged more for a kill fee if like the production didn't really go through. And I also think it's so important. And this is more so from just like an overall freelance perspective, but always have like some clause in there if you need to get out. Because I feel like we tend to protect like the client and not protect ourselves. No one else is vouching for us. Like a lot of us don't have agents. And so my biggest, I think, tip is definitely have some sort of clause in there of like being able to remove yourself from the project if it becomes to that, you know, gets to that point. And unfortunately, you do have to go your own way and you can't finish out the project. And it is a lot of you live and learn and learning from your own mistakes. but. It's okay to make those mistakes because that's the only way you're going to learn and figure out what works best for you and your business. I want to get into some of your past work. You have worked with some incredible musicians such as Ariana Grande, Leon Bridges. What was the creative process like when working with these types of clients? Oh, so Ariana Grande, I did the visuals in Seven Rings. So essentially, I've worked with the production designer, John Richu, on a couple other projects. And, um, a lot of times in music industry and especially music videos, turnarounds really quick. Like you get hit up for the project, you're either on it in a couple hours or the next day. He hit me up and he was like, Hey, like I have some motion work. We need to get some visuals done for this Ariana Grande music video that's shooting in a couple days. And then the day before the shoot, we locked in the budget. I got the creative brief. And then I was like on this text chain with the director, Hannah Lux Davis and John. And essentially, it was 4 p.m. and the shoot was starting at 8 a.m. the next day. So I was up for, I was up for 12 hours, going back and forth. I made about like eight different visuals, but like the one that ended up getting used in the music video, I kind of knew right away like this is the one. So I was just sending, I was just like quickly drafting up things in After Effects and literally taking videos of my uh, computer screen, so they kind of got the idea. And then we kind of like, I think this is the one. I just kind of made variants of it. I wasn't on set that day because I had another gig, but then they showed Ariana Grande all the visuals. The one I knew she was going to pick, she ended up picking. So, you know, it was kind of like a very, it was a very quick process. You know, working on music videos, especially like doing art department, being on set, it's a high, like it's an adrenaline rush. Things are just moving so fast and you kind of have to make decisions like in the moment. The Leon Bridges one was a little bit more relaxed, but it was a quick, it was a quick turnaround. My brother was the producer on that music video. So it was pretty easy hire. <laughs> so it was originally for Diplo's country music side project, Thomas Wesley. And it was a song with Leon Bridges. 
my brother's friend was also the director on it. So it was just kind of like, it was another one where I kind of pulled like an all nighter. It was another one where it's like project confirmed at 8 PM and was turned in at 8 AM the next day. So it's an interesting, very quick and turn and burn process. And like, you kind of just have to make decisions in the moment. That must fulfill that part of your career. Being on set's like a whole, it's like a whole different ball game. Like I did a prop design for a housing music video nightmare. That one was like, I had like a week to get together the prop. But then like the day before the shoot, I made like this newspaper and it's like in the scene. It looks like two, it's like in like the 2001 Space Odyssey kind of like white towel room. It's like her and a bunch of girls and they're reading this newspaper with like the lyrics on it. And then like I, I based it off, I think like New York Times or LA Times. But then like it was my first time like being on set delivering like a physical prop. I did. I, I made like the outside of the newspaper, but I didn't think about like the inside of the newspaper. So I get on set and they're like, they're about to film this scene in like an hour and a half. The director is like, looks good. And then John, the production designer is like, where's the innings of the newspaper? And I'm like, uh, I didn't know about that. So I had to run off the WB set, get in my car, go to every 7-Eleven, buy as many newspapers as possible. And then I get on set and I realize they're, they're not the exact same size. So then like me and like the production coordinator are cutting the newspapers so they can fit within the boundings that I made and then literally handed it off to Halsey and all the other performers on stage. And then they filmed the scene. So it's like, it's like that kind of rush. <laughs> it's like that kind of last, like last minute adrenaline. You just got to be on the fly and just like make shit happen. So you've mixed your two passions, art and music. What's the future for you? I mean, I'm still doing music. Every year I do music. It becomes more and more passive income, which is great. This year has been like, I'd say for like my streaming, it's been really good. I mean, people are buying physical copies of my music who I don't know. So it's like, it's slowly getting there. I mean, I have representation for syncs. I'm working on another record. The music project is called Visions, but it's spelled really weird. So it's easy to find. And essentially it's supposed to be like both my music and like visual side of like my work combined into one. I think like art directing a production club, like it's already benefited my music career just because it's so intertwined it's helped me get more like music gigs. So, you know, I think I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and see where it goes from there. What would be your advice that you'd give your 20 year old self? Kind of a lot of what we covered on this podcast, protect yourself, put yourself first. Most of my freelancing was in my twenties. So I would say if I'm looking back, be a better business person and just look out for yourself. How did you approach your financial strategy when you decided to go freelance? There wasn't a financial strategy. <laughs> Definitely not because I was in my early 20s. Still was on my parents' health care. You know, like, like I just, there was no finance. There's no financial strategy. Financial strategy came later. A lot of my early 20s was just doing things on the whim. And I still kind of do that today. But like, there's definitely more in my 30s now. There's definitely more of a financial strategy than when I was in my early 20s. I was not thinking about that, especially because I was balancing like freelance career doing my music and then like throwing events at the same time. It wasn't great. I don't recommend it, but you know, it was very, it was very scrappy for like the longest time. There's a hundred percent a way to do it sustainably. I think like the way to do it sustainably is kind of like what we were talking about, like contracts, timelines, putting yourself first, not bending over back just to make a project happen because like, it's not worth it. If your mental health is just like crushed because of it. Unless you want to stay up all night doing titles for Diplo, which is like what I wanted to do. Then like, that's worth it. You can get sleep later. But I think taking care of yourself and getting things in writing is the best way to like slowly build up like a financial strategy for yourself. 
I completely agree with you on like setting goals for yourself and like setting small goals for your from a financial perspective as well. And then building up to those bigger goals. You know, when you go freelance, don't just assume that you're going to all of a sudden be able to like be able to buy a house like that. You know, it it does take time and it it does take a lot of planning as well. My last question for you is, I know we've covered a lot of different tips and tricks about and things that we've learned throughout this podcast. But my last question to you is, what is one piece of advice you would give anyone who's looking to go freelance? First of all, portfolio is like, that's like the stepping stone to anybody knowing who you are and like what you do. Like always make sure that's like up to date, put products you're really proud of to the front, even can be anything from bigger clients to smaller one. I think like whatever best represents your work, because like a lot of my freelancing in the beginning and still like even towards the end was a lot of referral work. So it's just like, if you have something special that you do, like show it. Like, I think like putting your work out there is you have to do it, especially when you're starting to freelance too. Like it's a lot of just putting yourself out there. That's like part of the job is like representing yourself and trying to get clients, like be open to like, making new connections, messaging people, see if they need work. Here's a good example. There's this label I was on and off listening to for like 10 years that's based out of London. And the art director followed me on Instagram. And I just messaged him and I was like, hey, I'd love to work for you sometime down the road. And usually like, you know, sometimes when you message people, like they'll be like, yeah, cool, let's do it. And then like nothing ever happens of it. And then six months later, he's like, I've been thinking of you for a project and I think this is the right one. Would you be interested in doing it? And I did a, a full-on album campaign for this house music producer called Mills Hoffman on Ingenuity. So it's just like, you never know. Networking is 100% half the game. To that note, don't be afraid to cold email or like cold reach out because you never know what you could get out of it, such as your example of the music label in London. It's just things like that can definitely happen. And it's really rewarding when it does. So Jeremy, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today. I really love chatting with you. Same here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to my chat with Jeremy Raskin. You can find out more about Jeremy by visiting his website, jeremyraskin.com. Be sure to check out our website, freelancefounders.com and follow us on Instagram at freelancefounders. We hope you'll share, subscribe, rate and review the Freelance Founders podcast, which is available for free on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you and have a great day.